0: Last words are important. Those who get to hear last words after someone has died can remember them and treasure those last words of their loved one. This evening, we bend our ears to the cross to listen again to those final words of our Savior Jesus from the cross. And although we've heard them before, we listen again tonight, treasuring each one. The first word is a word of forgiveness. Forgiveness from Luke chapter 23. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. If you had been in that situation and had found the strength to speak anything there, what would you have said? Would it have been these words? perhaps more likely words that were going to blister the ears of anyone there listening. I doubt we'd have the words of forgiveness that Jesus spoke. Forgiveness doesn't come easily to us. And when the other person is in no way deserving of our forgiveness, then it usually doesn't come at all. Easier is anger. Or holding a measuring stick as we wait for someone to earn our forgiveness as if we had ever earned any ourselves. Don't misunderstand Jesus when he says, They do not know what they are doing. Yes, the Jewish leaders surely understood that they had condemned a man who did not deserve to die. They understood that they had trampled on the very concept of justice. But through their stubborn sin and their unbelief, they did indeed refuse to understand, to see that they were crucifying the very Son of God, the promised Savior of Israel. Otherwise, they would not have asked Pilate to change what he had written above Jesus' head. Jesus was not suggesting that this misunderstanding meant no forgiveness would be necessary. As I'm sure you're all aware, ignorance of the law is no excuse. As anybody who's been pulled over for speeding can attest, not realizing that you were doing something wrong doesn't free you from having to pay the price. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have spoken of forgiveness. Jesus asks God here to delay his justice. That's what forgiveness is. Jesus asks here that God not hold them immediately accountable, but give them more time to come to recognition of their sin and also by the working of the Holy Spirit to come to faith. Seven weeks later on Pentecost, Jesus' prayer was answered. As perhaps some of these same people finally realized what they had done, the book of Acts tells us that they were cut to the heart as the Apostle Peter spoke when they recognized their sin in putting Jesus to death. And when they asked Peter, what then should we do? He told them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They did and they received forgiveness from their Lord, their crucified Savior. This word of forgiveness extends to us also who so often do know exactly what we are doing as we sin. When we were born, God did not bring immediate judgment upon us despite the sin with which we were born, nor did he merely delay his judgment, but in bringing us to faith, he actually answered Jesus' request, Jesus' prayer here. In Jesus, we have the forgiveness, which he first requested for us on the cross, the forgiveness which he was there about to win for us. The second word is a word of promise. Luke 23, beginning at verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I think if I had been in the one on the cross I would have been speaking as little as possible. And a simple okay would have been all that Jesus needed to say even if he wanted to answer the man's question, right? Jesus remember me, okay. Save your strength, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do the bare minimum here. He says, "Truly, I tell you," because Jesus wanted him to understand this word is an absolute promise. The request the criminal makes is the same one which we make. We need to know that Jesus will remember us. When he comes into his kingdom, we want him to remember us when we face our last hours. Truly, I tell you, he says. Make no mistake. Have no doubts. This is a promise from the one who can always be trusted. He goes on today, not sometime, not eventually, not after you've finished what, for paying for whatever I've not yet paid for here on this cross. Today, right away. You will be with me in paradise. This thief didn't want to know what was going to happen to the others. He wanted to know what was going to happen to him, a criminal who was getting what his deeds deserved. He wanted to be sure that he was not going to get what his deeds deserved in the next life. He wanted assurance that there was room and welcome at the table for him. Isn't that what you want to know? You know the depths of your own sinfulness? You know what you deserve because of your sin. You want to know if there is room and welcome at the table in heaven for you. Jesus speaks a word of promise here that says with certainty, will be. But even more thrilling to us is those words, with me. We will spend eternity with Jesus in his presence. Tonight, Jesus tells us this truth in his second word from the cross, this word of promise. He remembers you. And when you die, you may be certain of immediately being with him forever. The third word is a word of love. John chapter 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. At this point, now, his third word from the cross, what is Jesus thinking about? As always, the answer is, his people, his love for them. He had nails through his hands and his feet. His back was cut to shreds, a crown of thorn pressed into the skin of his forehead. Yet he hung there wanting to make sure that the mother who had cared for him would have someone to care for her after he left. In this word of love, we see that Jesus, our substitute, kept God's command to love his neighbor. He kept God's command to love his mother. Obeying the fourth commandment in our place, that our perfect obedience might be credited for his sake. In this word of love, we see something else as well. We see his love for us. We might be inclined to think that Mary was worthy of such love and concern from Jesus because he was his mother. Well, She was family, but so are we. Jesus once said, Matthew chapter 12, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. When he says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, you may think that that excludes you. You may look at your sin and think that. Remember, the will of God your Father is that we believe in his Son as our Savior. Because the Lord has given you faith in Jesus, Paul's words in Galatians 3 apply to you. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. The fourth word is a word of anguish. From Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lema Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the unspoken answer to Jesus' question that God has forsaken him because he is punishing him not only for every sin you have ever committed, which would be an absolutely staggering burden on its own, we all recognize, but for all sins which all people, the entire world, has ever committed. That tells us what Jesus was experiencing. That tells us why he was experiencing it. Anguish, this word, it's a word that we should only ever use in the deepest Extremest of circumstances, right? This word that we want to reserve for the the absolute lowest, darkest points of human emotion and sorrow, the most painful experience that we can imagine. And yet it still falls short of what Jesus experienced there on the cross, this word anguish. I, I, I don't intend to dismiss the depths of the deepest anguish you've ever felt. It just doesn't feel right to use the same word to describe what Jesus was experiencing on the cross Take the deepest emotional sorrow that you have ever felt. Multiply it by the worst physical pain you have ever experienced. Then crumple up that paper on which you were sketching up those calculations and throw it away because it still doesn't even come close to what Jesus endured there on the cross for you. Do not let the fact that no words can truly describe it, though, convince you that there's nothing here to see that we hastily move on from this word. There may be no words that capture what Jesus was feeling in that moment, but then let us stand there with words lost to our lips as well. Let us stand there in reverent awe, wonder, the love. And again, this word love that we use so tritely barely begins to capture what it was that Jesus feels for us that led him to hang there on the cross. But these are the words we have to work with. So may we stand mutely in reverent awe, wonder at the love that led Jesus to suffer this anguish, the anguish of hell in our place, so that we would never have to experience its indescribable horror. The fifth word is a word of fulfillment. John 19, 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Why did Jesus speak this word? Well, he was thirsty. That was one of the side effects of crucifixion, a raging thirst. And it does does us good to hear this and to ponder more about this word. Because it reminds us that although Jesus acted and spoke differently on the cross than you or I would have, speaking these words of, of forgiveness, of love, what he was experiencing on the cross was real just as you and I would have experienced it. Because Jesus was a living, breathing human being, he was feeling very real pain, experiencing very real thirst, every bit as much as you and I would have felt. What took place on Calvary was not a charade. Jesus was not a spirit pretending to walk around in a body. He was a real human being. He was not pretending to suffer there on the cross. Those were real nails going through real tendons touching real nerves grating against the endings that was actual pain this was actual thirst all this reality reminds us that a real payment for our sins was made on the cross on our behalf our sins have been paid for so was jesus thirst and his desire to quench it the only reason jesus spoke this word not quite even more important than jesus desire to drink was his desire to fulfill every word of scripture spoken about him? In Psalm 22, the Lord spoke through David My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Then in Psalm 69, he said, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Given all he'd been through, it hardly would seem critical that Jesus would pay attention to this one small verse, these two references. But leaving aside the details had never been Jesus' way, had it. He didn't take any days off from being our Savior. He never shortcutted, never took the easy way out, never left any detail unchecked. He never took a coffee break from being your perfect substitute here on earth. He left nothing undone. So you can hear this word and know that there is absolutely nothing needing to be done. Work out your salvation. The sixth word is a word of completion, then. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. John 19, verse 30, finished. It's hard for us, honestly, to really think about what's ever actually finished in our lives. Maybe we can say that little things get finished, right? Taking a test, reading a book. You can finish those things. But so many of the other things that intersect our day to day routines, laundry, shopping, driving, cooking, cleaning, are these things ever really finished? Those sort of things go on and on, always demanding our attention. There's always something that needs redoing before long. And who of us would ever dare say that we are done working on our relationships with others? Even if there isn't something that needs fixing right now, there's always something we can be doing better. Many people think that same way about their status before God. They view their status before God as unfinished, as something that is yet under construction. They not only talk about getting on God's good side, but they talk about what they need to do to remain there. In other words, they think it's never finished. People who think and speak that way appear to be very humble, but they're wrong. When they think that way, they ignore and disregard Jesus' words because he said it is finished. The sacrifices for sin, what does the book of Hebrews say? Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. It's finished. The condemnation of God's law, the Apostle Paul says in Romans, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He was delivered over to death for our sins, finished. This sixth word of Jesus from the cross This word of completion was very literally a single word. In Greek, this is the word tetelestai. If you ever come on over to the parsonage, if you haven't noticed before, walk upstairs. There's a big poster right over the upstairs landing with this single word. There's a reason Jesus summoned his remaining strength to speak this one word. Jesus said this word because it needed to be heard it wasn't his father who needed to hear this word. The father already knew it was finished. No, it was those of us who are tormented against our, by our sins against our God who needed to hear Jesus' sixth word from the cross. Jesus spoke those words to us. So that when the devil comes to us on our deathbed, when he holds the Ten Commandments before us to fill us with despair over sin, we may speak Jesus' words to the devil. It is finished. It is finished. Or as John, who stood there and saw this, with Mary now in his arms, as he said, looking at this with his own eyes, he would write later, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, has purified me from every sin. 1 John 1, verse 7. So the seventh word is now a word of confidence. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 46. These final words of Jesus from the cross are not words of de defeat or despair at the end. They are not even words of death. They are confident words of victory in life. Just as Jesus had assured the thief on the cross that he would be in paradise immediately after he died, Jesus also expected the same. He knew his body would be placed into a grave, but he knew his soul would soar immediately into the loving embrace of his father. Once again, Jesus addressed God as his father. He knew that he had fully done everything God had asked of him. He knew he stood blameless before God. He knew he could address him as father. Therefore, he did as we can peacefully and confidently entrust his soul to his father. At our last hour, we may speak with the same confidence. For we know what Jesus has promised We need not fear having our souls condemned to everlasting suffering by an angry judge. Rather, at our last hour, we look forward to our loving Father taking our souls to heaven. Because we too, with and in Christ our Savior, will stand blameless, sinless before God. It is finished. Amen.